Hello, and welcome to the Sisters in the Spirit podcast. My prayer is that this podcast would be a ray of hope for your week. My name is Sarah St. Clair, and I'm delighted that you have joined me here. We are going to connect around the life-giving truths we find in God's Word and have honest conversation about the challenges we face day to day. I want to encourage you from my own life experiences and also chat with women like yourself who have walked through seasons of suffering and yet remained strong in their faith. Sister, you are not alone. You are precious to the Heavenly Father. Let's grow together as we seek to know Christ and worship Him in every area of our life. Hello friends, welcome to Sisters in the Spirit. This is our summer season, episode three, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. Can you believe that it's July? Um, I am a little in shock. Um, how fast the summer is going by. Um, but it is feeling nice and warm here in Greenville um, after a couple of rainy weeks and a rather cool June. Um, the heat of summer is upon us. And yesterday we were able to enjoy time at a friend's pool. And that was a wonderful time. So I hope you're finding ways to pass the summer days um, a little differently than the normal daily grind. Um, but I know many of you are still working full time and um, it definitely takes more work to um, slow down and take time to see the the sunshine or um, spend time enjoying life a little bit, Uh, but I encourage you to do so. It is um, helpful. I was talking with a friend the other day, um, helpful just to do things out of the ordinary or take time for those things that you don't think you have time for um, because it makes life feel like you're actually living it instead of just getting through it. So this past week was VBS week for my girls um, at a local church. They had a blast. The three older ones were serving and the younger three participated and just have great memories from the week, learning all the great fun songs and crafts and games. So they always look forward to that week every year. Um, I was busy teaching at the dance studio still uh, part-time. And that really, I just love my job. I love teaching the little ones to love dance, to see them come in timid and fearful and not sure if they can do it. And usually by the end of the summer, they leave feeling like, oh, I can be a dancer. And so... It brings me a lot of joy. Today's topic that we are covering 
is a heavy one and I just want to be really sensitive to you listeners who have this as part of your story um, that either in your past or in your present um, you're walking the road of abuse whether it be sexual or physical or verbal abuse um, it's it's all heavy and painful and we don't want to um, minimalize it in any way um, my heart's desire through addressing this topic today is to offer a lifeline that you would feel that there are other people who have been where you are or um, have found freedom to walk out of those situations and that there's a life beyond that there's healing and even though you carry the scars for the rest of your life you don't have to live um feeling trapped and um powerless so my prayer is that through the very open and transparent sharing of my friend Trisha that you would find a ray of hope in the darkness and that you would know that you aren't alone and that you are very loved. Um, we are also putting links to some websites and also some phone numbers of people that would be able to connect you with help if you find yourself in a situation right now that you need help with or if um, your spouse is willing to get help because they are struggling with addiction and so we just want to make sure that we give some practical ways for you to find help. But I hope that you're so encouraged by today's interview. So here is part one of my interview with my friend, Trisha Dyer. All right, so I am joined today by my good friend, Trisha. <laughs> um, so Trisha, welcome to Sisters in the Spirit. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to um, my listeners and just tell us a little bit about your family. Okay. Um, my name's Trisha Dyer, and I um, am blessed to be the wife of Tom Dyer, and I'm mom to... Jordan Dyer and Easton Dyer. We have a bonus daughter that comes and is here with us a lot. Her name's Mariah. We just um, have a wonderful family here. I've got my mom's close by, my sister's close by, and um, we we just you know have a big hodgepodgey family, and we just we consider you St. Clair's family. Yes. And, uh, 
We go to Beach Springs Church, and we just love um, our family there, our church family. So we just kind of have an open-door family policy <laughs> around yes. here. We love it. We love it. So we um, met the Dyers through theater yes. uh, community here in Greenville. Um, but then the Lord connected our hearts um and we went and visited their church and then ended up feeling at home and joining it. And so now we serve together there and, um, yeah, just grow in the Lord together at Beach Springs. So um, we have the privilege today of hearing uh, Trisha share her story Um one of the many stories that we could <laughs> go down, but um, I just really felt that this um, topic was so needed to be addressed and um, that there's a lot of women who carry the burden of um, growing up um, in abusive situations or um, having a story of abuse at some point in their life um, and they carry it on their heart in secret a lot of times Mm -hmm. and they don't have a safe place to process through it, to know, um, how to deal with, um, the hurt and the pain and the feelings. And, um, they sometimes carry it into marriage without even having told their, um, spouse about it. And so I just, wanted to address this on the podcast um, because, you know, this is a place we want to be vulnerable and um, find hope and encouragement for all the different things that people face in their life. And um, so thank you for being willing to come and um, talk about this very tender uh, topic. Sure. Um, So why don't you just kind of give us an overview of how um, this struggle and, um, situation happened in your life and what your story is. Sure. So we grew up, um, I I don't know how many people know how it is in the Mormon church, but it was very strict and, um, we, we believed God, we loved God. Um, you know, my mom took us to church every Sunday and we were there on Wednesdays. And so, um, I grew up with the knowledge of, of truth. You know, we did a lot of Bible study and I knew who God was and I knew he loved me. Um, and so it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a confusion to me as a child when I first started, um, knowing that there was abuse that was happening. And I remember the first instance was, um, a family member that, uh, I was maybe four or five years old. I remember being very young and we were traveling away from home and there was a family member who was older, not a lot older, but, but, you know, definitely older. Um, and it kind of started there was my first experience with abuse and with, you know, everybody spending the night at grandma's house and, and this particular family member. Um, and I don't know that I've shared that even with my family. I've shared it with other people, but, um, you know, that with my family in particular, um, but this particular family member, um, that would, that would come, you know, when everybody's sleeping and was just inappropriate, you know, just very inappropriate at that young age. And me, I remember me thinking, I don't understand why this is happening. You know, Mm -hmm. why is this person being so inappropriate? Um, and then even later in, 
as I got a little bit older, maybe around eight or nine years old, um, the same family member visiting from out of town. And again, you know, basically calling my sister and I over to um, just a, an area in in kind of in our vicinity and exposing himself and, you know, being completely inappropriate again. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that was kind of a little bit of a distant encounter with that. And so it, even though we knew it was wrong, it was just like, Ugh, you know, you know, something you could just kind of avoid and kind of keep away. But where it really came to hit home was my dad became a, a terrible alcoholic. And I remember noticing when, you know, as Mormons, we didn't drink, we didn't have, we didn't even drink coffee, tea, no smoking, nothing like that. You know, everything was, you know, pretty straight laced around our house. And so I remember the first time I saw beer in the refrigerator Mm -hmm. and thinking, that's odd. Why do we, why is there beer in our house? We don't drink. And um, I remember that more and more that, that my dad would act out of sorts. And, and again, I was very young still. And so by the time I was about 10 or 12 years old, um, it became sexually abusive. So there was pornography and that we were forced to see pornography and we were forced into such situations where, um, you know, I remember being held down and, quote unquote tickled and it wasn't being tickled it was you know hands in inappropriate places inappropriate ways and I couldn't do anything about it and so that all became um, something that progressed and got worse as the drinking got worse and so my sisters and I um, it was a long road of that and it was it was terrible to live like that it was it was this feeling it, it was I remember having this question um, because I love God and I wanted to, you know, do whatever God had for me to do in my life. And I didn't want to do anything against what God would have. Yeah. And I remember we were sitting in Sunday school studying about how to honor your father and your mother. And I had that thought in my head, but I can't honor my father because right. my father is abusive. You know, I remember he had this belt that would was a leather belt that had like embossment on it and it was mm-hmm. wrapped with leather on the edges. And I remember, you know, having welts to the point where it would draw blood on, across my legs and across my back. Mm. If I said something out of the way or did something out of the way, um, you know, so growing up in that, um, gives you this feeling of fear all the time. You don't ever know what situation you don't feel safe at home. You don't feel safe in your environment in the place where you, are supposed to feel safe. And so there was always a feeling that we wanted to be somewhere other, <laughs> other yes, than, sure. you know, where could we go? Can we spend the night with friends? You know, <laughs> every weekend it was like, what friend can we spend the night with? And kind of our place of solitude and um, happy moments was Sunday after church. We all went to my grandparents' house. And so there was my my grandmother and my grandfather and my aunts and my uncles and we had you know we would swim yeah, in the you pool felt and we could there. yes it was a place where we knew that nothing bad was going to happen and we would have happy moments and so that was like our week was always waiting through till we could get to Sunday <laughs> you know that was our day we're going to go to church and then we're going to go spend the day with me mom papa and you know we would stay till the late hours and you know and Sometimes in the summertime when we didn't have to get up for school, my I remember my grandmother was um, 
tell me and my sister, I had quite, there's, there were five kids in our family. So I say my sister and I've got several of them, but, um, I have one sister that's about a year younger than me. So the two of us yeah. kind of were the same age. My older sister's five years older than me. And then, um, we had my brother who has passed on now. And then my baby sister, who's about eight years uh, apart. So my sister Melody and I would go, go in there. My grandmother would say, Meanwhile, I would say, y'all go pretend like you're sleeping. Go play possum. And so we would go lay down, and she'd cover us up, and she'd put a pillow under our heads, and she'd say, now, Lenora, that's my mom, Lenora. She'd say, Lenora, you just don't need to wake those babies up. You just leave them there and let them spend the night. You just go on. Y'all go stay in the other room, and we'll just keep them here. Boy, that just made our world because we knew we got to stay yes. all night long and then have another day of safety and solitude and be in that place. So our grandparents' house was always our safe space, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was tough. I mean, it was hard to, to know, especially like there was a time when my mom actually had gotten shingles and it was really hard for us because she was in the bed sick as she could be. And we could hear her just miserable with shingles and, you know, she wasn't able to tend. And that was a rough time for us too, because we were left with, with our dad who was drinking and, you know, just, for him just to kind of do his thing, you know, yeah. and, um, it was really, that was really a scary time for yeah. us as young kids. Um, and so f there was a time where finally we had lived in this for so long that, and then our baby sister at this time was about three years old and my older sister, myself and Melody all kind of got together um, my brother was kind of a little more protected from that because he was the boy. Um, and so even though he saw saw some of that, it, I think it was really more focused on the girls in yeah. our family um, for that part of it. But uh, we got together and we didn't realize that the others were experiencing similar things because we had not talked to each other about it. Right. Um, and I remember the straw for me was um, my mother had was sick and with the shingles. I remember that. And she had sent him to pick me up and he he offered to pay me money to have sex with him. My father wow. wanted to basically turned me into a prostitute for him and and I remember just wanting to throw up I just wanted to couldn't get out of the car fast enough you know um and that and I immediately I went and got my older sister and I got my sister Melody and we sat down and I said look this is what's happening to me are y'all experiencing the same thing um and they were and that was kind of a light bulb moment for all of us yeah. and so I don't know how much that my mom actually knew was going on and how much, because she was just so busy just trying to survive five children. And I know, yes. you know, you've got six of your right. own. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she's just trying to make sure we have clothes to wear to school and lunches packed and, you know, all yes. the things. And Food then, on the table and, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, as an adult, I can look back and see that, She's also going through also being married to someone who is not being a good husband to her as well. Right. So all of those things combined, I don't know how much of of the information that she knows was going on, but she knows enough to know that we came to her and said, Mom, we can't 
live in this situation anymore. So either you need to move us out or he needs to move out. It's like something's got to give here. And it was really hard for my mom because, and I understand why, but because of just that, especially at that time, this was back in the, you know, 70s and early 80s. Yeah. Um, the stigma, especially in churches, in the Mormon church especially, of getting divorced, you know, yeah. of having a broken family and, and all of that. And so us trying to convey to her how dire the situation was and that that we would be a lot happier with just her yeah. and that that needed to be because we didn't feel safe we didn't feel protected mm-hmm. um and so I remember having that conversation with her and so she did separate and that was tough for her because now she's single mom to you yes. know five kids and wow. has to figure out how to provide and how to you know now she's she's you know having to figure out do I need to go work because she was always stay-at-home mom mm-hmm. and so trying to figure out the income portion on top of all the rest of it too um it was a it was a tough moment for her but um you know after that I'm just going to kind of fast forward because I yeah. know you know just kind of giving you an overview but um growing up and that was really really terrible and then you know they did finally divorce and there was you know some encounters and struggles after that, but, um, my mom remarried and when she remarried, I think part of that, part of that was just her feeling loved by somebody. Um, but we, all of us kind of got together and we're like, we really don't want you to marry this guy, mom. We don't think that this is a good decision. Um, but part of it was her wanting to be cared about and loved by somebody. And, um, my stepdad, when she remarried, you know, he he took her to fancy places and bought her fancy things. Yeah. Um, and gave the appearance of, you know, I'll take care of you and your kids and provide that kind of thing. Um, so but he was actually turned out to be quite verbally and physically abusive. So it was kind of a frying pan into the fire. Yeah. Felt like that kind of situation. And so we went into that situation with my stepdad where, um, I mean, called us every kind of name in the book and would, you know, I remember there was this event that's so clear in my mind and where somebody was sitting in a chair and we were just all sitting there talking and he got mad and nobody knows why he really got mad, but like it was grabbing people by the hair of the head and just, Mm. you know, and it was just, it was awful. And my older sister, thankfully was old enough by this time that she was able to go off to college. So she had left and she'd gone to college. Um, and then I was getting into my teenage years then. And so it was just, had we'd been there a couple of years and it had gotten so bad. And I, I had, um, it's really hard as a, as a teenager, if you're in a wonderful household that's supportive and loving and you're going to school and they're like, hey, you can get a side job and you've got all the support you need to be able to work a little job and learn about, you know, how to flip burgers, whatever, you know, yes. work in that grocery store job. But it was really difficult coming out of, we don't even know how to navigate normalcy, you know, right. and yeah. they were going from abuse to more abuse and mm-hmm. then um, trying to figure out, okay, now I've got to get all my homework done, make sure I can pass my grades and go to school so that I can eventually get to college or whatever I'm going to do in life. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm working a job, but I don't have transportation. I don't have a car. I don't have 
the things that I need to be able to get myself around. So I was relying on transportation and I was, I had been told I had to go to work. So I was fine with going to work. I went to work at a grocery store. It's no longer around now. Community cash back in the day, dating myself. (laughs) So I'd gone to work at this grocery store and, um, you know, I was, he was, my stepdad was supposed to pick me up after work and I, it was late at, you know, it was at night. I was closing the store and I had school the next morning. And so I waited and he didn't come and I waited and he didn't come and I waited and he didn't come. And so the manager, store manager finally was like, do I need to take you home or what do we need to do? And I said, I'm not sure. I don't know. That was before cell phones. Right. So I couldn't just make a call yes. and be like, um, come pick me up. I had tried to call the house. Nobody answered. So finally, um, my mother said, where's Trisha? Nobody knew where Trisha was. So she came and got me. And she got back, and the moment I walked in the door, it was expletive, expletive, expletive. You're nothing but a little this is and a that, and a and a fight ensues. And I'm like, because I had broken curfew, and I had broken curfew because my stepfather didn't pick me up from school, I mean from work, excuse me. So this big fight ensues, and I went upstairs, and and I was just about to turn 16. I was 15, just about to turn 16, and I went upstairs to call my uncle, who was a safe place for me. You know, that was my my grandparents' house, and I went upstairs and got on the phone to call him, and I closed the door behind me, and he busts in, and I'll never forget, he was kicking, he was, you know, Mm. whatever he could do, and just, um, and I grabbed a roller skate, and I'm saying this because it it was a wake up moment for me. Yeah. About the anger that I had from all of this that yeah. had led up to this moment, and I picked up this roller skate, and I reared back with this roller skate, and I was about two seconds from cracking his head open with that roller skate, and I would have killed him. Yeah. I was that angry. I've never been that angry in my life, but at that moment, I wanted to kill him. Yeah. And my mother jumped in between us, and said, you need to leave, and I left, and I never went back, and that was the last time I lived at home, and that was a wake-up call for me, because I knew in that moment, I was capable of doing something that I could never have come back from, Right, and that scared me, Mm -hmm. um, to have been pushed to that point of anger in my life, so even though I felt like it was self-defense at that right. moment, yeah. like I would have carried that for the rest of my life. So thank God for my mother jumping in right yes. at that moment. So, you know, I was 15 years old and I moved around a lot. Didn't really have the stability there, you know, but um, I switched schools, switched back schools, you know, lived with mm-hmm. this relative and that person and this person um, until I got old enough to go off to college. And so I remember... Um, and there, there were some events too, even in high school (laughs) where, um, I dealt with abuse from boys in high school. Like I had an event there where during that time after that, and this was later, like after I had, um, left home, but there were, you know, three boys in high school that literally cornered me, the three of them cornered Mm -hmm. me and shoved me up and off. They were holding me down and just, you know groping and grabbing whatever they felt like doing and thought it was funny and laughing and whatever in the in the school. And I remember having to fight my way through that and out of that situation. And so here I am from the time I'm four or five years old. Yeah. And all I have seen is this pattern of men that are being abusive all the way through. And um, that was so hard for me as I was 
you know, growing through. And so I finally get out of, of um, high school and go to college. And I'm determined I'm going to college and I'm going to make it all the way through. And I don't care if it takes me how it took me six years, but <laughs> I didn't care how long it took. I was going to finish. I was determined yes. I was going to do something positive in my life. Right. But I remember the first time um, I was in a freshman and my world was so different. Everything was so weird and different because I didn't feel like. I didn't feel like I fit in. I was there at a, you know, Southern Baptist school and I felt like, um, everybody else was just kind of put together, you know, they had normal families. And then I remember the first holiday, everybody was leaving to go home Mm -hmm. and I was there on campus with, I felt nowhere to go really. And I just looked around and I was all by myself. And that was the moment that I felt so alone and I felt so abandoned. And I, that was the time that I just cried out to God. And I was like, I, I, I at that moment felt like I didn't want to be here anymore mm-hmm. on this planet. I was like, God, just take me out. Just take me out. I don't want to be here anymore. You know, what do I have to live for? My life has been a hot mess, yeah. you know, and even though we now, had this, at that point, had you come out of the Mormon church yourself? No, I was still oh, in the Mormon okay. church at that moment. So, um, and you know, I, even though, and I have come out of the Mormon church now, my mother's still a member. And even though I don't necessarily agree, I'm really glad that I was raised in it because it did give me this foundation of, and one thing my mother always taught me, and it was kind of a principle that I learned in that Mormon church that to always to decide to decide. And I always thought that was great advice. And I use that today. And I even share that with people today, decide to decide. And what she meant by that was to know whenever a situation presents itself, what your answer is already going to be. Mm-hmm. So you aren't trying to figure out in a moment yep. um, what you should do. You already know what you should do before right. a situation presents itself. Yeah. But little did I know these situations were going to be, so drastic and so difficult in my life because it was hard. It was all hard. Um, But I was at this point, I was still a member of the Mormon church and I attended, um, I did, I, I wasn't attending right at this moment, um, but I did attend like kind of after this little come to Jesus (laughs) meeting I had with God, you know, this encounter with God where I was like, God, just take me out. I don't want to do this anymore. And that was probably the moment in my life where I felt like God had abandoned me, you know, like he didn't, Mm -hmm. he wasn't looking on me. Nobody was looking at me. I was kind of by myself and I just had to figure out life by myself or just not be alive anymore. That's just kind of where I was. And I remember just praying, Lord, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You know, I'm broke. I don't have family support really to speak of because my mom couldn't afford college. She could, she's raising a bunch of kids by herself and yeah, she couldn't afford all that. So I did have some student loans, but I still had to buy books. I still had to buy, you know, normal necessities that people have to live on, you know, and I didn't have money. So I worked, you know, a couple of jobs while I was going to school and I was tired. Mm -hmm. I was tired. I was spent. You know, I was 
just, I just didn't know what to do at this point in my life. And so I was on my way to work and I had prayed. I was like, Lord, just, you know, if you are, if you are still there, <laughs> if you still love me, just show me that you're with me. Just show me that you're with me. And I prayed that because I felt so alone at that right. moment. Yeah. I just, just, it was just awful feeling of, um, you know, abandonment really. Yeah. And the next morning, um, or the next day I went to class and then I walked to work cause I didn't have a car. So I would walk to work. I worked at a daycare center, which wasn't too far, um, for me. I'd started working in daycare when I was like babysitting and that kind of thing when I was 12. Yeah. So, cause I had to do a lot to, you know, if I wanted to do something, I had to pay for it. So yes. I learned how to work my way through things. So I would walk to work and that, that from that, for the very first time, and people think this is really silly, but to me, it was not, it was the Holy Spirit that I, the God was right then and there saying, you are not alone now and you are never going to be alone. So that very next day, when I was on my way to work, there was this little cardinal that, the a little chipmunk that kept running across my path back and forth and a cardinal that just kept flying around back and forth. And they literally walked with me to work and walked mm. back from work to school with me every day. From then until I left college. I mean, every single day without fail. That's this little amazing. chipmunk and this little kernel. And just looking at God's creation and God just saying, she just needs my companionship. She needs to know I'm there. Yeah. And that's all I needed just to know God was with me even through the struggle. And he had been with me through all the struggle. <laughs> the whole time he never left. And his, my tears were his tears. Yeah. He hurt when I hurt. Yes. And he wanted my life to be whole and that he wanted me to have joy and he wanted me to have peace and he wanted me to have faithfulness and yeah. he wanted me to have goodness and kindness and all the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. And that the only way I could have that was through him. Yeah. And that he was going to be there no matter what. And that he was my father. Yeah. And he, he let me see people through a whole nother lens because he saw me. Right. Through a different lens. And he was able to, it was just that moment that made me feel like, wow, the God of the universe cares enough to Man. tell me on a daily basis that he's yes. walking with me yes. through it all, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that, was, that was a changing moment. That was a turning point in my life. Yeah. And it didn't mean my life was perfect from that point right. on. Because I still had encounters. I still suffered with, um, you know... I was raped um, by an ex in call, you know, at the end of college. Um, so I had that to deal with. I had, you know, other encounters similar to that to deal with. Right out of college, I got married, um, and that relationship was quite verbally abusive, mm -hmm. um, and it was verging on that physical abuse. Um, my last straw in 
I was married for 10 years, and my son Easton is precious to me. I love him dearly. He's amazing. I have a special needs son. He's 23. His birthday was yesterday. Um, but I haven't seen him in a few years because he lives with his um, dad, and his dad won't let me see him right now because he doesn't have to. And he's just a very yeah. – um, I, I refuse to fight those fights anymore, you know, yeah. because I know God can handle that, and I – I have chosen a life of peace and love and joy. And um, because my son has special needs, that I don't want to cause anything that would affect his, you yes. know, the people in his and, life and yeah. his safety and his, yes, and, and mm-hmm. you know, all of that. So um, I've chosen to to make sure that his life doesn't become turmoil with a fight with his father. Um but that my last straw there was um, he. I don't even know what I said, but it's something I said wasn't appropriate enough. So he, I remember him grabbing me by the shoulders and slamming me against my van and rearing back with his fist to hit me. Mm. And I, you know, I winced for a second and then I said, No, this is not, I'm not doing this anymore. And so I. That's when I ran. That's when I said I'm leaving. I I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Um, and so, I before I said the words out loud, I just got myself, you know, a new place, and I kind of got myself my situation to where I knew I could go, and I tried joint custody for a little bit. Um, after that, but um. It, it was so hard on my son yeah. and I just couldn't put him through that because his dad, the control issues that his dad had, um, he would do things like change his, his transports to his therapies or, mm. you know, things like that, that yeah. would initially, that would um, intentionally disrupt everything. Yeah. So I, that's when I said, I can't do anything that's going to disrupt what my son needs. And so mm. I, we went to court and I, you know, I told the court, I just, he needs to be in one place where he can be stable, you know, and I, I just, I said, I'm just gonna, you know, I'd like to have visitation to see him, you know, and so the courts let us have, you know, work out our own visitation. It wasn't like on a regimented schedule. Yeah. Because him being special needs. And so, um, so that's kind of where that situation is. And his dad's just said, no, you can't see him. You know, now that he's 21, it's no longer a parental guideline. It's now a guardianship. So it kind of yeah. changes the rules Different. a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's hard. And I think I said that to say that life is hard. There's hard stuff in life all the way through life. Yeah. Dealing with abuse, like it can make a woman feel like she's nothing. I have felt like I was nothing. I was felt like I had nothing to offer. And that... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know I don't know you just feel like you have no power mm-hmm. I think is, is a good way to put it like you know there's there's nothing good for you to do in life so you know and that's such a lie from the enemy mm-hmm. it's so not true at all but what I've been able to do through all this was um learn forgiveness in such a deep way i went to a school back in the 90s which was amazing it was called restoration school and restoration school 
um, when we were there, they took us, it was actually, um, we had gone to an AIDS hospice. And so they were coming into this AIDS hospice and it was some friends of ours that ran the AIDS hospice and they were coming in to help these, these folks that, you know, were dying and all that through some major issues in their lives um, so that they could get freedom and some healing through that. And so we actually went out to attend this school um, and I wanted to do that for, hopefully for our marriage, to save our marriage, because I kept feeling like, mm-hmm. am I doing mm-hmm. something to cause this? Right. I think that's a lot of times we think, am I the one that's the problem? Because there's this pattern of abuse through my whole life. Right. And so, so am I doing, me. it must be me. Yeah. I, what did I do wrong? And what I found there was that it wasn't necessarily me and it wasn't necessarily what I was doing wrong. Yes, are there things I could change in life? Sure. But the biggest thing I needed to change was my perspective. And so when I was able to start releasing and forgiving, and, you know, first that family member and then, you know, my dad and then my stepdad and just and, and even my mom, you know, for allowing this to happen long enough in our lives for it to right. us to not have that feeling of safety, mm. you know, as kids. Um, but being able to understand that we're all broken people. We're all messed up people. We all have stuff. Some people's stuff's a lot worse than other people's stuff. Um, but that pattern of, you know, of course, addiction that my dad was dealing with and the patterns of abuse and um, I, it, it helped me to see men in a different light and mm-hmm. their struggles being so deep-seated and that the enemy goes after men because then the man will lash out at the woman who then you know feels less than and then you have two broken people who break up the children and then the children are raised in broken homes and broken families and that's the enemy's end game right that's his whole thing he seeks to kill still kill and destroy and so if he can if he can start with a man and put something in that man that will that will hurt the woman and then the children are are destroyed he's broken that family and that and i have refused to let the enemy do that to me anymore yeah i i wanted to stop that pattern and so i started to look at people differently and i started to see my dad that he, because for the qualities that god actually put in him because he was brilliant he had a brilliant mind. He was sci- new science, you know, back and forth. He was always had experiments and all these things that he could um, create and invent. And he was mechanically so smart he could fix anything. And um, he was he would give you the shirt off his back. He was just the sweetest, kindest person when yeah. he was not drunk. And so those addictions that held him, the the alcoholism. And, you know, all of those things that held him so strongly, he didn't want those in his life. If it had been in his power, he'd have broken them off of his life, you know. And he he didn't know. He eventually actually got sober. And, mm. you know, we reconciled. I went to the rehab center where he was, and I was able to go through counseling. And my older sister actually went through some counseling, too. 
Um, and so through that, I reconciled with my dad. And what a wonderful thing to not carry that anymore and to have this knowledge. He died when he was about 60, 61 years old, um, about I don't remember, maybe 15 or 15 years ago about maybe mm-hmm. um, when he passed away. And I I feel good to know that when he passed away that I didn't have any ill will, resentment or bitterness. That root of bitterness has just gone. It's like God has given me the supernatural ability to forgive. Yeah. And so not holding on to all that has given me that so much freedom. Yeah. Deuteronomy 33, 26, and 27. There is none like God, O sister, who rides through the heavens to your help. Through the skies in his majesty, the eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you, and said, destroy. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. So I hope that through listening to Trisha's story and um, hearing her share that if this is part of your story as well, that you have been encouraged that you are not alone. Um, If you are wishing that you could find healing but not knowing where to start, I pray that this might be the beginning of a whole new chapter in your life. I pray that the verses would stir in you hope that the Lord Jesus Christ 
bore your sorrows and carries them, that he loves you and that he wants to bring healing to your life. So I pray that you would join us again next week and hear part two of the interview with Trisha, where we hear um, how the Lord brought her out of that painful situation and circumstances and brought healing and joy to her life and where she has, is at now and how God is using her. Lord Jesus, I pray for my sisters who have suffered sexual abuse or physical abuse, Lord, and they carry this pain with them. I pray that you would continue the healing process of their heart and soul. I pray that they would find your love to um, just enfold them and cover them that they would have an assurance today that you offer healing, that you are present with them always, that you never left them. I pray that you would um, just guide them to the right people that can care for them and that they would find safe people to talk to so that they don't feel alone in their suffering, God. Thank you that you offer healing, that you want to bring joy in place of mourning, that you want to replace our ashes and what was broken with wholeness and beauty. Lord, I pray that you would just help my sisters in Christ to be empowered through the Holy Spirit to walk out of these circumstances and into all that you have for them. I would love to connect with you and especially if this episode has resonated with you and you just need to reach out to someone, um, I'm here for you. So you can find me on Facebook, Sarah Dawn St. Clair. You can find me on Instagram at raising underscore rubies times six. I would love to hear from you and um, just offer any encouragement that I can. You can also um, look up our private Facebook group. I would love to have you join us over there. Um, it is a safe community of support and just a place where we can share our burdens and prayer requests and what's happening in our life and just a way for me to connect with you on a more intimate level. So you can um, hunt that up on Facebook under Sisters in the Spirit with Sarah St. Clair. So I hope to hear from you. I hope this um, episode was a blessing um, to you and that you'll come back again next week to hear the rest of the story. So remember, you are dearly loved. You are not alone, and the Heavenly Father delights in you. Bye for now. Thank you.